seated. If you have a Bible with you, you can open to Matthew chapter 6. We'll look at verses 9 and 10. The text is also in the bulletin for you. So we've been going through a series on the Lord's Prayer, and uh, the Lord's Prayer is the prayer that um, He wants His disciples to pray, that He taught His disciples to pray, um, and it's the prayer of Christians then, as uh, we've been instructed by God in the flesh Himself. And there's a there's a structure to this prayer, this uh, inspired prayer. The first three petitions, there's six petitions. Um, the first three petitions are uh, are God centered, uh, just explicitly and, and totally God centered, and the last three petitions uh, address our own particular needs, and um, and we'll get into those in the weeks to come. Uh, but more than that simple structure of the first three being God centered and the first uh, the last three addressing our needs, um, there's an order. There's kind of a logical development here. The whole prayer uh, flows, it kind of trickles down from the first petition, which is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right? So the whole prayer has the glory of our Heavenly Father in mind. Uh, and the, the petitions unfold then how we prayerfully pursue God's glory. He is hallowed, he's glorified as his kingdom advances. And as his kingdom advances, um, his will is done and so on. So, um, so, so far we've thought together about how this prayer is, uh, it instructs our prayer, prayer is to be uh, personal and relational. Uh, we're, we're to pray as dependent children to an almighty Father who loves and delights in us because of our Savior Jesus, uh, that we're to pray for his name, his reputation, to be renowned and honored through the, the spread of gospel of Jesus Christ, um, and that we're to pray for his beautiful kingdom of, of grace and glory to overwhelm the kingdoms of this world. And this morning, we're going to look at what it means when we pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's pray, and then we'll read the text. Lord, we ask for your help as we consider your word. You have given it to us, and your people have, for thousands of years, uh, turned to your word for instruction and to be changed in our inmost being. And so we pray that uh, you would continue your work in your church and in this world as we come and and turn to your word. We pray that you would shape us by it uh, through your spirit and by your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be to God. So that last phrase there, on earth as it is in heaven, uh, it, it rightfully applies to each of the um, preceding three petitions. So we pray um, that God's name would be hallowed on earth as in heaven. We pray that his kingdom would come on earth as in heaven, and that his will would be done on earth as in heaven. So all these things are being perfectly done in heaven right now, and uh, our prayer is for heaven to come to earth increasingly in these ways. So what does it mean when Jesus teaches us to pray this third petition, uh, your will be done? Um, John Calvin summarizes it pretty well. 
He says, here we are commanded to pray that all creatures may obey God without opposition and without reluctance. We desire that all men may have their will formed to such harmony with the righteousness of God that they may freely bend in whatever direction he shall appoint. It is a prayer that God may remove all the obstinacy of men which rises in unceasing rebellion against him and may render them gentle and submissive that they may not wish or desire anything but what pleases him and meets his approbation. It's a good way to put it. So basically this prayer is for our sanctification. This is the prayer of sanctification, uh, which is the fancy theological term for growth as a Christian, growth in grace, growth in holiness. And um, it certainly is a prayer for all people generally. Uh, We're not just praying for ourselves when we pray this prayer, but it does have to start at home, right? It's in the soul of one uh, who prays is, is where this prayer begins. So it's a prayer for our own sanctification. It's a prayer for our own obedience, to grow in obedience to God. And we're actually going to look at this petition uh, for two weeks, um, partially because this was a decision I made yesterday as I realized I had notes that were like 10 miles long and basically had written two sermons, and I thought maybe this should be two sermons. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> so yeah. You get another one next week, um, and unfortunately, I'd already done the bulletins, so the Old Testament reading kind of goes better with next week's sermon, but um, maybe you can forgive me for that. Uh, so we're going to look at the petition for two weeks. That's because there are two senses in which we grow in our obedience to God, in our uh, submission to God's will. Uh, and maybe you've heard of these uh, theological terms before, the, the active and passive obedience of Christ. Um, so I'm, I'm going to get a little geeky here. I'll calm down in a minute. Uh, theological stuff. The, act, the active obedience of Christ was his perfectly keeping the law of God. Right? And the passive obedience of Christ uh, was his perfect submission to God's will, which led him through suffering uh, to death on the cross. So you can see that there's a distinction there. Theologians make those distinctions. Um, but this twofold obedience of Christ, his active and his passive obedience, is reflective of a big mystery in the scriptures, uh, which is that there is a sense in which God has two wills. Uh, Christian thinkers throughout the centuries have come up with these categories in order to make sense of what we see in the Bible. Uh, the first uh, sense in which God has uh, one will, the first is commonly called God's secret will or his decretal will or the will of his decree. And uh, just so I don't mess it up totally and wreck your faith, uh, let me quote from the, uh, the Westminster Confession, which summarizes the concept that, that is found in the scriptures this way. It says, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet, so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures. Um, So just really briefly, since we're going to unpack this concept uh, next week, this this aspect of God's will next week, this is what Isaiah was speaking of when he prophesied of Christ. It was the will of the Lord. It was the will of Yahweh to crush him. Uh, It was God's sovereign, secret 
decretal will that Jesus would be murdered on the cross. Uh, He ordained the most tragic evil in history in the death of his own son. And it was to this will that Jesus submitted himself passively. Passive obedience of Christ when he prayed in the garden, not my will but yours be done. And uh, this is the will of God to which Jesus offered up his passive obedience, which meant his perfect, patient suffering of the circumstances that God brought into his life. And uh, so his passive obedience corresponds to God's secret will, which we're going to look at next week as the model for our passive obedience to God's secret will, his decretal will. And um, I I don't really mean to leave you hanging there with that because it's it's important questions that we want to answer. Maybe that'll get you to come back next week. Um, But it really is just impossible to cover everything here uh, in in this petition in uh, one week. But this week we're going to look at uh, not God's secret will, but his revealed will, his moral will, uh, the declarative will, the, the will of his command. Right? Uh, this is the will of God as it's revealed in the scriptures, in his holy law, the commandments. And it corresponds with Christ's active obedience. It's Jesus perfectly kept every command of his father and was without sin. And so, uh, as we think about our own growth in obedience to God's will, uh, we need to consider this aspect of his will, which is his moral will. So, um, that's part of what we're praying for when we pray, your will be done. I think that this uh, active obedience to God's revealed will, that we would submit increasingly to what God has said our lives should look like, um, I think this is what Calvin is kind of homing in on with that quote that I read earlier. And you can, you can also see it in the quote by Lewis that's in the beginning of the bulletin there for your reflection. I'll read that. C.S. Lewis said, Thy will be done. But a great deal of it is to be done by God's creatures, including me. The petition, then, is not merely that I, that I may patiently suffer God's will, but also that I may vigorously do it. I must be an agent as well as a patient. I'm asking that I may be enabled to do it. In the long run, I'm asking to be given the same mind which was also in Christ, which is a quote from Philippians 2. And he says, Thy will be done by me now brings one back to brass tacks. So Lewis actually makes the distinction there um, between the active obedience and the passive obedience between the the patiently suffering God's will and vigorously doing God's will. And it's the vigorously doing it part of the Lord's Prayer that we're talking about this morning. So we're taught by Jesus to pray that we would get better at obeying God, that what he has expressed and revealed about his will, his holy law, we would increasingly grow in um, in our desire and our ability to carry that out in our lives. Now, in a sense, um, that, that makes it automatically the last prayer that any of us naturally would want to pray. It's the last thing we want to do by nature. Uh, who, um, who in their right mind wants to pray for things like greater humility or greater patience or greater self-sacrificial generosity, all these things that are commanded by God in his word? He, he desires these things from us. Who wants to pray for those things? They're revealed by God, they're commanded by God, but you realize that when you pray for these things to, um, 
to become a reality in your life that the answers to these prayers will be very uncomfortable, <laughs> right? Um, very uncomfortable to pray for things like greater patience and greater humility. And they have to be uncomfortable <clears throat> because uh, we're praying against our own nature, aren't we? We're, we're praying Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, even though it maybe more properly applies to his passive obedience, I think it still applies to the active obedience. Not my will, but your will be done. And there is a natural disconnect between my will and God's will. And that was uh, even true at some level for the Lord Jesus, who's a perfect human who always did God's will in every way. He did not want to die on the cross, and he asked not to have to, even though he knew it was his Father's will. So if Jesus had to pray, not my will, but your will be done, and it was so difficult for him that he sweat drops of blood in anguish, then you'd better believe that it's going to be difficult for sinners like you and me to pray that prayer. Right. Um, for us, the natural disconnect between our will and God's will is amplified by sin. Right. Apart from God's miraculous grace at work in us, we never want to do God's will. We always prefer our own will. <clears throat> By nature, we're suspicious that his will is set against us, that he's out to oppress us or enslave us, rob us of our joy and our freedom. And we look at his will as it is expressed in the Ten Commandments, and we think, what do we think? It's repressive. It's restrictive. I don't want to do that. Just for an example, uh, with regard to the Seventh Commandment, <clears throat> God's will, God's law, is that we protect our own sexual purity and that we protect the sexual purity of others as we do our own. Right. So God's will for sex is that it would be reserved for marriage, that it's a, it's a part of a beautiful, lifelong bond that's meant to reflect the deep mystery of the intimate union between Christ and his church. So sex is a glorious thing, and God's will for you is that you would abstain from tainting it, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. Paul actually says it explicitly in Thessalonians. This is God's will, that you abstain from sexual immorality. But our culture <clears throat> can make absolutely no sense of that whatsoever. We want to do what we want to do. Right? And that means having sex with whomever we can, whenever we can. Basically, right. God's will just seems totally restrictive, simply goes against our will. The fascinating thing about this is that um, being as sexually enlightened as we claim to be as a culture, our views on sex don't bring us uh, freedom. They bring us slavery, right? When you just do your own will when it comes to sex and you ignore God's will, then you are going to wreck it. And sex will lose its, its dignity, its purpose, and its beauty. To get what they want out of sex, uh, women starve themselves. They run like hamsters on a treadmill. And they go to the plastic surgeon to get all cut up, right, to get what they want. And to get what they want, uh, men sit alone in dark rooms in front of computers. And they lose all ability to properly relate to women in general. And they lose all ability to have true intimacy with their wives in particular. We're a culture of sex addicts, which is another way of saying that we are enslaved to our own lusts. 
That doesn't destroy human dignity in any way, does it? People get their will regarding sex all the time, and psychologist chairs are full of them because they're desperately lost and empty. Their lives are ruined by getting what they want with regard to sex. But hey, my will be done, right? God's will is archaic and restrictive, right? Or what about the sixth commandment that requires that we protect human life and we seek to help the lives of other people to flourish as we would our own? Um, Here we are in an advanced global culture with such organizations as Human Rights Watch, um, scouring the earth for evidence of torture or oppression or human trafficking, slavery. Um, And many of us are obsessive about our health and our diets and our exercise because our life as humans is so short and it's precious and it's valuable, right? Human life is valuable and we want to protect that. But then in our confusion, uh, we often think that human life matters less than animal life, sometimes even less than plant life. We seem not even to know what human life is or when it starts or when and why we should defend it and cherish it and nurture it. So in order for our lives to flourish according to our own will, we extinguish the lives of millions of unborn babies. And instead of calling it what it is and just saying, our will be done, uh, we call it a woman's right to choose. And again, um, we seem to ignore all the cases where women who have done that are absolutely destroyed by having gotten their will by having chosen that and gotten abortions. All indications are that the sense of guilt is unimaginable. It's unbearable. But hey, my will be done, right? God's will is archaic and repressive. We want so badly to believe that there's nothing wrong with our will. But when our will doesn't align with God's will, it is the end of the world. It is the end of the world. Just doing what you want is enslaving, and it's ultimately destructive. Clearly, personal happiness, as you and I define it, is nowhere near as good as God's will for your joy and for your eternal glory. God's revealed will is better than your will. His will is better than yours and mine. The law of God is meant for your good. It's meant for your true flourishing And living by it, you will be more free than you ever could be if you were just pursuing your own will. It's the owner's manual, right? The Ten Commandments is the operator's manual written by our owner, by our creator. It's the operator's manual for human life. God made us to live in in a certain way, according to his purpose, according to his will, his design. And if we're not doing that, we're just going to fall apart. And we already have. And as usual, the problem is that we just don't believe that. We're we're convinced, despite all the evidence to the contrary, that our will being done is better for us than God's will being done. That's why we need to pray for him to bring it about in our lives. And that process is not an easy one by any means. The process involves reshaping us 
on a fundamental level, realigning our will with his, which is totally unnatural to us. Right? Because the root of sin, the definition of sin, is pursuing our own will rather than God's. And our hearts are all shot through with that. Whether you're a Christian or not, your heart is all shot through with this tendency to pursue your own will rather than God's. And we need to be persuaded that his will truly is better than ours so that we would submit to it in our lives. And what we're praying for is that we would obey his will happily. Not reluctantly, not begrudgingly, not bitterly, not icily, not with stone-hearted stoicism, not with self-righteousness, not with hearts swelling in anger, kicking up against God's will, right? We're asking that, like Paul, we would be able to say in Romans 7, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. We're asking that, like David, we'd be able to say in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The rules of of Yahweh the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. That's what we wish we could say about God's law, right? And to be able to say that from the heart, we need to know what God's will is. We need to study his word. If you can't recite the Ten Commandments in short form from memory, you probably need to be able to do that. But just knowing God's will doesn't enable us to do God's will. Right? Just knowing the law doesn't enable us to do and keep the law. We have to know the gospel. It's because, like we've been saying, we can know God's will all day long, but wanting to do it is another thing entirely. And we want to do God's will the more that we trust in the one who reveals it to us, right? the more we trust in God. When we read the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, the first thing that we read of is the Deliverer God, who says, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Right? I'm the God who graciously and miraculously delivers you from slavery. I want the best for you. I want your freedom and your flourishing. And I have worked by my grace and by my power to make that happen for you. Now, therefore, have no other gods before me. Right? Don't make idols for yourselves and enslave yourselves to them. Don't take my name lightly. Keep my Sabbath. Rest in me and in my grace. Honor your parents. Honor all people. Honor life, honor sex, respect other people's money and reputation and possessions. I'm out for your good, God says, and this is what's good for you. Trust me, not only did I make you, I redeemed you for a beautiful life. And that's, uh, that's what came to the ancient Israelites. Um, and as Christians, it's better, Right? As Christians, we read the preface to the Ten Commandments this way. I'm the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you 
to make a way for you to heaven. And I've been raised from the dead to promise you freedom from sin and death. And I'm in heaven right now preparing a place for you, and I'm preparing you for heaven. Therefore, live as a citizen of heaven. God is your God and no other. Put away enslaving sins. You are free of them. Be free of them. Proclaim to one another and celebrate together the gospel of grace. Do God's will on earth just as it's being done right now in heaven, which is your home. God's will, God's law is sweeter than honey when you taste how rich and sweet is the Savior's grace for you. So we need to um, pray for our souls to be more deeply rooted in the gospel We'd be more and more aware of the beautiful union that we have with Christ our Savior by His grace. If you, uh, if you completely agreed already with everything the Bible says about God's revealed will, about His moral law, you wouldn't have to pray this prayer, right? Um, but if you're honest, you know you don't. You don't agree with everything the Bible says uh, in, your, in your deepest heart. You still look for churches and for friends and for counsel that align with your own will instead of God's will because God's will is too hard. And we don't want that. So by God's grace, you need to seek out where God contradicts you. If you're going to grow in your obedience to his revealed will, you need to seek out where God contradicts you and you need to submit to him there prayerfully using this petition of the Lord's Prayer, you need to pray to be able to submit to Him, to want to submit to Him. And that comes as you're convinced that you're not going to be diminished or enslaved or robbed somehow when you give up your will in favor of God's will to obey His. His will is better than your will. It's better for you. It's better for the whole world. And this is the compelling logic of the Gospel If God has loved you, if he's given his own son for you, if he's made this this massive sacrifice, sacrificed so much for your good, if he has shown mercy to a natural-born lawbreaker like you, then you cannot conclude that his law is meant for your evil. You can say, sure feels bad. I don't like it but I could trust that it's good for me because of Jesus. Okay, God, I'll defer to you. Please help me to defer to you. Please help me to love you, to love your will, to do your will here. Not my will, but yours be done. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, it is difficult for us to set aside our own wills, our own desires, when they conflict with yours, in fact, it is impossible. But nothing, it, uh, nothing is impossible with you. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so we do pray to you, O oh Lord, that you would overwhelm us with your beauty and your glory and your majesty, your kindness and your favor, your steadfast love and mercy, that in all these things we would see that you are truly a God who is not out 
to get us, that your will is good for us. And in knowing this, uh, deep in our hearts, we pray that you would, by your spirit, enable us to increasingly submit ourselves to your revealed will, to your law. That you would help us to live in this world in such a way that brings glory to your name as we keep your commandments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.